Recently, we released an episode regarding the limited utility of bimanual exams. Now, I mean limited utility as a routine annual exercise in the otherwise low-risk, asymptomatic, and non-pregnant patient. And there's plenty of evidence that has shown that just doing a bimanual exam because, quote, that's what we've always done, end quote, without a real indication is just not helpful. All to say, we received numerous comments regarding that episode, with 99% saying, Ah, Dr. Chapa, thank you for that data. It's great. And thanks for sticking with the evidence. And yep, we stopped doing bimanual exams without indication when ACOG first put that out several years back. Great. Thank you for that positive response. But of course, there's always that 1% or so that said, quote, I can't believe you're not recommending this exam. This is how we find ovarian cancer. End quote. Um, now, that was a little weird <laughs> because that is exactly the whole reason we did that episode, which was to say, no, it does not pick up <laughs> earlier detection of, of ovarian cancer. So, OK, that was kind of weird. So it makes me think maybe they didn't even hear that episode or even worse. And I hope this wasn't the case. Uh, did listen to the episode and totally miss what I was trying to communicate. What we've got here is. Failure to communicate. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? But a separate comment from another provider is very worth noting because it became the idea for this episode. A provider wrote and said, Hey, Dr. Chapa, the debate on bimanual exams, isn't that kind of the same deal on clinical breast exams or CBEs? What's the data on that? And how do various medical groups and professional societies agree or disagree with CBE performance? Well, that's exactly why we're doing this episode. So in this segment, we're going to cover the various guidelines and opinions regarding the utility of clinical breast exams. Plus, you'll want to hang out with us until the end of the episode where we will provide some real practical applications using all of this data for daily practice. Yep, let's start this episode and let's feel the data out. See what I did there? All right, here we go. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves really fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, everyone. Yes, we've covered breast cancer screening and adjuvant breast ultrasound in past episodes because at that time, uh, a TV personality, national U.S. personality, had taken on this this fight to, to be the advocate for dense breast ultrasound, which I totally respect. That's fantastic, except the data's not there. So I, I launched into this whole review of, of where ultrasound fits in in the appropriate context, all right? Yes, dense breasts are an issue. They're an issue not just with mammogram interpretation, but also dense, dense breasts in and of themselves, a higher content of, of, of glandular uh, and, and fibrous tissue compared to the fatty tissue. That is an independent risk factor 
for later development of, of malignant changes. That is true, okay? But to say everybody just gets a breast ultrasound is also not evidence-based. So we covered dense breasts on October the 30th, 2022. So you can go back and listen to that. Then, like two days later, on November the 1st, 2022, so uh, just over a year ago, uh, we covered a second part uh, of the data on dense breasts and and appropriate screening in those situations. And most recently, we aired a practice advisory on dense breasts that are found on mammogram and patient notification. That was done on April the 7th, 2023. So after this episode, go back and listen to those related episodes. Again, October the 30th, November the 1st of last year, and then April the 7th, 2023. On a side note, do you know why I always say, oh, oh go back and look at XYZ episode? Uh, it's because we have uh, we have an ever-evolving podcast family, right? So some people jump on our train, woo and we're traveling down together. Some jump off. Uh, losers? No, just kidding. Just kidding. You're free to stop listening anytime, but we really want you to continue. Uh, <laughs> and then some people jump on our train, and so they may not know that we've covered that. So yes, we've got three episodes just on dense breasts that were done recently within the last year, okay? Uh, oh, by the way, the, the reason, look, when you're a podcast person, all right, uh, everything is related to to our audience. I mean, if we had 10 listeners, I'd be very thankful. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's about we want to do something to have impact. We want to do something to move the needle. And, and on a larger scale, uh, you know, we track everything. We track our numbers. We know wh- where our listeners are. I know that sounds a little creepy. Sorry, we just we do that because we, we, we want to see where our podcast family is. And I'm very proud of that many times. It is very international from Australia. Hey, Steve, uh, all the way to Canada, to the uh, Middle East, to uh, Israel. And we, we've covered this. We've got some in Central America, South America, of course, all over the U.S. Uh, all to say is we look for these numbers. So, guys, please pass the word out because we do need growth. And the reason is, is that our podcast sponsor, which is Spotify. Yeah, they'll bail. They're like, hey, man, you, you, you know, your audience kind of left you. You, you must have gone sucky or something. I mean, whatever. Uh, and, and we need this. Uh, to 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 continue doing what we do uh, on the air. So anyway, quick note: I totally did not mean to do that, but I did. Okay, now that we're back to the show, a brief disclosure about what we're talking about here. Okay, remember the focus on this episode, just like the previous one on bimanual exam, is on the low risk, otherwise asymptomatic patient. Okay, so women who are at higher risk for breast cancer absolutely should have their own physical assessment of a breast by breast awareness, not necessarily breast of exam, but definitely monthly self-awareness. And they should undergo annual breast imaging studies beginning either at age 30 or based on their, if they're very high risk, like BRCA positive, they should begin at age 25. And the American Society of Breast Surgeons says, yeah, they, they likely need MR. Okay, they need a, a an, an MRI of the breast. So, uh, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the otherwise asymptomatic, hey, I'm here for my wellness exam, just like the patient scenario in our bimanual exam. I'm otherwise great. I have no nipple discharge. My, my breasts don't hurt. They're not lopsided. One size isn't getting bigger than the other, which is which is a flag. And uh, and so I'm, I'm just here to see how I'm doing. Now, should that patient, who and there is still a place for an annual exam, all right? So that comment that we had regarding bimanual is like, I can't believe you, you're, not, you're telling patients not to have an annual exam. That's exactly not what I said. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Annual visits are great. That's why they are annual, annual visits. 
but an annual bimanual exam is not. So those are two different things, okay? Annual visits, to be very clear, yes, that needs to continue. That's just you take your car in every three to four months to get it checked, tires rotated, or you should. You need to take your body in at least once a year uh, if you're otherwise asymptomatic and low risk without some disease process and get checked. But a bimanual is not part of that. And definitely an annual PAP is not unless you are in some kind of surveillance or have HIV. Okay, so so this is what we're talking about. This is in the asymptomatic patient. Hey, I'm here. uh, And let's say she's 25 and she's like, what do I need to get? This is the question. Is a clinical breast exam evidence based? Ooh, that's tough. We're going to cover all of the professional societies. We're going to get into it. We're going to cover the data. Um, but even ACOG here, again, almost like they did in bimanual exam. Well, not almost. I mean, exactly like they did with a bimanual exam stance. It's a very PC. It's a very political answer, which, again, is I can either confirm nor deny uh, their utility. I'm going to get into that in just a minute. And we're going to cover a lot of other people like U.S. Preventive Service Task Force, American Cancer Society, Susan G. Komen, the NCCN, National Comprehensive Cancer Network. And we're going to show you how they agree and disagree on certain things. Okay. But above all, of course, we're going to highlight the data. What does the data show on this? Super interesting. All right. Because if a patient asks, do I need to check? Do you need to check my boob? Um, well, my answer is, well, do I? Ah, you see what I did there? Super. That's called setting up the discussion. Because look, man, we're all busy. Again, I, I, I see patients every 15 minutes in my private clinic. And I don't try to rush anybody. But I'm like, hey, we got to get to it. I'm doing fine. You're doing fine. Pleasantries aside. Okay, fine. Let's get to it. Uh, because I want to concentrate really on what you're here for. I can be your friend later uh, with boundaries, but not during my 15 minutes because we've got to get stuff done. Uh, and this is using that time includes patient education. Like, well, let me tell you about clinical breast exams and, and what the data says that they can do and what they cannot do. Now, remember, I'm going to leave that towards the end. That's my clinical real world application. So that's my little teaser that that's coming out. OK, but as always, let's just go back in time and just briefly touch on where we've been. All right. Now, when I was doing this data capture for this episode, I found a, a commentary from an attending, I'll tell you what that is in just a minute, who was my general surgery. Uh, that was general surgery team B, because that was breast, uh, at, at Parkland when I was a third-year medical student, Dr. Leach. She was the breast surgeon. Everybody feared her because she was fierce. And I mean that in a good way. I mean, she just she was just, I just knew her stuff, man. And I remember looking at her even back then and going, wow. What a badass. I mean, she just knew her stuff and just great skills. But And she cared so much about what she did that uh, sometimes she didn't see that she was pimping to death uh, the students, okay? Because she would she would keep asking you questions to either passed out uh, or, or urinated on yourself, one or the other. I mean, one of the two is going to happen, right? And so I remember when I was like, oh, my gosh, it's surgery B. And I was like, oh, I know this, you know, Dr. Lee, she's going to just wear me out. Uh, and then it ended up I changed for some reason, something happened with my schedule. I went to vascular surgery. I didn't ask to be transferred, just FYI. Uh, it just kind of happened. But it's interesting what you find when you're doing the, li- the literature search. But just to give you an idea, this is why this is important, guys, beyond the history of it, is that some things 
uh, move in the right direction and they keep going forward. We talked about this and some things are circular. Remember, I've, I said that in another episode. Some things get on the Ferris wheel doo, 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 and they just never get off. Just up and down, up and down, circle, circle, because this argument has been totally perpetual. This controversy about the utility of clinical breast exams goes back to the 1990s. Now, yes, they've discussed it before, but really in the 1990s is where commentaries started getting put into the literature, like the one from my old attending, uh, Dr. Leach, right? So Dr. Leach in 1995 published a commentary called Controversies in Breast Cancer Screening. Well, that's exactly what we're doing here. And this was a supplement to the journal Cancer. All right. So this is, I mean, this is a, this made a lot of news back then because this was a thing. We told every patient every month after your period, check your own breast, breast self-exam. Uh, and then clinicians had to check the breast very diligently every year. And everybody, it was, it was not even a question. It was built in, in into the Bates style uh, physical exam. Bates is the old textbook medical students use. You remember that? Along with like gross anatomy uh, to, to do how the physical exam, they correlate uh, anatomically. Well, anyway, uh, back then in the 90s, okay, it's dates. Now, remember that these recommendations are no longer valid today, but look how things change. Back in 1995, Dr. Leach, a big leader in breast surgery, stated, quote, the American Academy of Family Physicians recommends clinical breast exam every one to three years for women starting at age 30, whereas the American Cancer Society recommends clinical breast exams every three years for women starting at age 20. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommends clinical breast exams starting at age 18, end quote. Now, let's stop there. This is 1990s. None of those recommendations are legit today. Do you see why we're doing this, guys? So this makes the point that, again, what is our tagline? Medicine moves fast because I just gave you three different recommendations from Dr. Leach in 1995. None of those are valid today. Wild, right? I mean, this is, again, medicine moves. So as the recommendations move, some controversies do not, like this one. So it's, it's interesting. We're going to explain it in a minute, all right? So all to say, those recommendations from 1995 are no longer legit. Uh, they're totally out of date. But the point being made even back then is, what, what do we do with breast self-exams uh, and clinical breast exams. And I'm going to touch on that in a minute. But Dr. Marilyn Leach from UT Southwestern, I mean, just an amazing physician. And I was doing this, you know, lit search. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Dr. Leach. Um, you see how medicine really is a very small world. So anyway, she made a big impact on me. Uh, and I, I found it as an honor to her that I included her data uh, in this episode. All right, everyone, before we get into the muddy data, because it is kind of muddy, but we're going to make sense of it, let's just admit something right off the bat. Uh, breast cancer is scary, all right? I mean, let's let's put it out there. One of my sister-in-laws is now is a breast cancer survivor. Now, she's been that for, you know, over 10, what? No, no, like 15 years. Um, so she's doing great. But But most people know somebody with breast cancer because it is out there. It's the second leading cancer in women aside from skin cancer. Okay. Uh, now, this is scary. If you take a look at the number of diagnoses within a 24-hour clock, like, you know, in a 24-hour time period, according to the CDC, a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer here in the U.S. every two minutes. Every two minutes. Now, let's stop there. Take a breath because that includes small ones that are totally curable with lumpectomy with or without radiation. Um, 
and and then of course the, the more severe ag- aggressive types. So this this is a big issue. Remember, we've all learned the numbers: one in eight women in their lifetime will develop breast cancer with a progressive increase as age progresses. Okay, so we should all be alert to the signs or symptoms of breast cancer. That's why clinical breast exams was originally proposed, for heaven's sakes. It's that we're going to get on top of these things and we're going to find changes that are abnormal and we're going to we're going to detect it before it's a problem. Um, of course, that really hasn't been a thing. Now, we're going to get into the clinical breast exam data, CBE data, in a minute. But before that, we have to say, so that I don't get ugly messages or somebody misunderstands me, this is different than breast self-exam, all right? Clinical breast exam, still controversial, and I'm going to tell you why. Breast self-exam is really not controversial because that's just not recognized by any organization, period, okay? Now, breast self-exam, remember, has been replaced by breast awareness, which is what? Looking at your breast, you got to look at your body, you got to do it. Look at your body, it's yours, it's okay. Uh, Your body, you've got to, in the shower, you do got to feel your, your breast, not just sitting up sitting up, standing up, but also lying down. You you need to be breast aware. Okay, take a look at your body. I mean, and just all parts of your body. You should examine your skin for weird moles. Be, be ownership of your body as a good steward of your body, okay? So breast self-exams is no longer a thing favoring self-awareness uh, versus self-breast exam. Now, this was put out back in 2003, and this when you, when you hear it, it's kind of shocking, but it was put out by the American Cancer Society of all people, right? I mean, you can get that, yes, U.S. Preventive Service Task Force doesn't like that because, oh, they're kind of detached, right? They're this group of experts, and you know, what do they know? Well, they know a lot. But in 2009, U.S. Preventive Service Task Force said, yeah, breast self-exam, all that does is increase biopsies and stress and doesn't really change outcomes. That was the same statement that, that, that the U.S. PSTF had in 2016 also. Cochrane Review says, yeah, breast self-exams don't do anything, uh, it, but breast self-awareness is okay. All right, so this is nothing new. This goes back now 20 years, all right? But breast self-exam is different than a clinical breast exam. So I want to be very clear. BSE, no longer recommended. <clears throat> Everybody gets that. Not controversial. Clinical breast exams, a little bit more controversial. And we're going to talk about that. That's why we're doing this episode. And we're going to go to all the details in just a minute. Uh, wait, hold on. I don't want to leave U.S. Preventive Service Task Force just yet because we mentioned them and they had their statement on BSE, breast self-exam, but they also, of course, commented on the counterpart, which is clinical breast exam because obviously patients don't know what they're doing, right? Well, they need a clinician. They need the C in the BE to do it right. That's the clinical breast exam. So if a clinician can do it, it's going to be better. And that's absolutely not right. And I'm going to tell you what the data says in a minute. Honestly, most of the breast masses that were felt were felt by the patient uh, and not by the clinician. Although there are some out there, guys, please don't send me a message that my cousin's sister's brother-in-law's wife uh, had her breast cancer found by her clinician. Fantastic. Thank God. I hope it's life-saving. Great. But that's not the majority of the cases in the population. All right. So there, I just saved somebody a message to me. All right. So back to what we're talking about. Uh, the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force. <laughs> I'm getting the, 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 the sign to cut on the neck. You know, the, from Mike. It's, cut it off. No, I'm not saying it. Then you better not take that out either. Uh, um, what, what was I doing? Oh, the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force on clinical breast exam. On clinical breast exam. Uh, 
they also have a statement for that. Now, and we're going to get into it a little bit more when we talk about all the professional society's guidance, but I just can't resist. Let me just say it here. According to the U.S. Prevent Service Task Force, as a tidbit of what's coming, a little foreshadowing, U.S. Prevent Service Task Force states this about clinical breast exams, quote, there is just not enough evidence to evaluate the utility of clinical breast exams and the balance between benefits and harms, end quote. So there's just not enough evidence. Okay, so that's the thing, then that's a good question, right? I mean, why do we do it? Uh, or should we be doing it? And we're going to get all of this figured out in just a moment. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, podcast family, this is a good explanation, not explanation, a good example of why we're doing this because medicine moves fast, okay? So uh, before we get into the whole thing with clinical breast exam, and we're still on this U.S. Preventive Service Task Force thing, uh, look, they've come around. They've changed. Let me tell you what they're doing. For a while, they took a lot of heat because their recommendations for screening mammograms in the average risk patient, their last report stated, yeah, they, they can start at 50 and then uh, do it biannually every two years. And so ACOG was like, huh? Uh, we're not doing that. American uh, Society of Breast Surgeons were like, yeah, we're not doing that. So they took all of this heat, okay? Now, now if you're thinking, well, why would U.S. Preventive Service Task Force not really start at 40 like most other people uh, and say start at 50? Because they're looking at a population. They're, they're looking at an epidemiological model, all right? Not an individual person model. So they took all this heat because from their last draft of breast cancer screening, uh, they had say, stated a routine screening mammogram started at 50. However, this is in process right now. That draft is changing. They've already had their public comment, which I cha- which I commented on online through the portal and said, absolutely, thank you for changing this. You're now in line more with ACOG. That says that screening mammograms for average risk, risk women really should begin at age 40. Okay, so yeah, duh. So I guess they were tired of getting ugly messages. I know how they feel. So the new draft language from the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force, which has, they're not talking about clinical breast exams here. They're talking about screening mammos, but it's kind of a neat thing that I'm trying to keep you informed about. The new language states, quote, new and more inclusive science about breast cancer in people younger than 50 has enabled us to expand our prior recommendation and encourages all women to get screened in their 40s. We have long known that screening for breast cancer saves lives and the science now supports all women getting screened every other year starting at age 40, end quote, all right? Now remember, this is specifically talking about mammograms. Um, and so, yeah, so they went to 40, uh, every two years. And remember ACOG is starting at 40 every one or two years. And then annually after 50, you see similar yet different, but I just wanted to put that out there because good for us preventive service task force for putting the recommendation down at 40, which has insurance coverage issues. Other professional societies, uh, follow their suit. So yes, you think data says start at 40, 
Yes, it does, of course, with shared decision making. And they're like, I don't want to do it every year, but every two years, that's fine. So thankfully, they did move it down a a decade. So that's great. Oh, my goodness. All right. Now let's get into clinical breast exams. But you see how we had to give all that other info before? I I just think it's helpful. I mean, it's it's controversial. There's all this stuff. Breast exams aren't a thing. U.S. Preventive Service Task Force changing its mammogram guidance. That's important stuff. Now that we've done that, let's focus on CBE, clinical breast exam. The whole controversy has has to do with their stated sensitivity and specificity of this thing, okay? And that totally varies by the provider experience and their technique. So let's stop there for a second. Because a good, thorough clinical breast exam takes time. It's systematic. It's purposeful. And I've been in some rooms where I've seen CBEs being done where I'm like, you know, proctoring a student or something. And they'll do a quick run of the fingers uh, like it's uh, keys on the piano, like ding, 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 going down. And they're done like in four seconds. I'm like, what? The, what was that? I'm like, well, that was my breast exam. Oh, no, no, no. And so if you're going to do it, I mean, commit to do it. Now, it's not about the time taken. It's about efficiency, okay? Just because you took five minutes to do, to check one boob doesn't mean it's, you're any good. It just means you may be slow. And I'm not going to give you a time span of how long it should take because that depends on the experience and the technique used, okay? The, the experience of the provider. Uh, and if you're taking 20 minutes to check one boob at a time, that's just weird and creepy and super awkward. So please don't do that. But it definitely shouldn't be four seconds. I mean, it's, so it's systematic. And this is one of the controversies about clinical breast exam is that, and no offense to our interns, God bless you, y'all are great. But an intern clinical breast exam that's, you know, has been a physician for two months or she's been a physician for two months versus a 20-year a gynecologist who you would hope is doing them correctly, maybe not, but I'm just giving it as an example as the book ends. Uh, those have different uh, accuracies. And so this is also something that's published and it varies by provider. We know that, okay? Uh, and experience and technique used. So that's one of the issues here why it's kind of gray. And even in experienced hands, let's just say that, this is let's be devil's advocate here, even in experienced hands, the vast majority of things that you feel on a breast are going to be what, guys? Come on. They're going to be benign. Let's call it what it is. But yes, I'm not minimizing that, yes, some breast cancers will be picked up. But the majority of findings that are found uh, will not be that. Also, the accuracy increases outside of the technique and outside of the uh, experience of the clinician is what? It increases with what? The patient's age. So if I find a mobile, uh, a non-tender little mass in a 25-year-old, uh, that's likely a fibroadenoma, right? Versus if I find a fixed solid mass in a 60-year-old, that's likely something super concerning. So do you see that? that these factors the technique used and, and how it's done, the experience of the clinician and patient age all go in to factor into the utility of CBE. So as a group, the, da- the data is super muddy and not real good at all. In a very select group, maybe it's better, but even that's a little hokey. And I'm going to tell you all of the professional society's statements in just a minute. Okay, so we said that the controversy has to do with the test's specificity and sensitivity, right? Well, one study found that CBE, in terms of cancer detection, had a sensitivity of 54% and a specificity of 94%. So in other words, okay, all right, so you don't find anything weird, that's fantastic. If you do find something weird, the sensitivity for it being cancer 
was 54%. Now, it depends on how you read that. If you're like, oh, 54%, all right, rock on. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, I don't know if you really should be that good with it. I mean, 50% is a coin flip, right? So let's take a look. Let me give you the, 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 the explanation of something hovering around 50% sensitivity from the textbook on medical statistics, okay? Quote, if a test or study has a sensitivity of 50%, there are as many true positives as there are false negatives. And here's where, here's, here's drops the bomb here, indicating that the test has no use in picking up disease. Wow. All right. So, uh, so now this is, you go, no, that's not 50, it's 54. Really? <laughs> so my point is, this is, this is the issue here, is that specificity, if it's negative, great. The sensitivity is pretty much a coin flip here. All right. So just put, but even though we've talked about the technique used, experience of the person, the patient's age, in general, sensitivities is the problem, okay? Now, the study that showed that 54% and 94% uh, values there for sensitivity and specificity, respectfully, that was published in JAMA, and that's nothing new. Barton et al. published that back in 1999, and it hasn't gotten much better since that. As stated by the Susan G. Komen Association on their website, quote, most abnormal findings from a clinical breast exam are not breast cancer. For most women, follow-up tests will show normal breast tissue. For other women, follow-up tests will show a benign, not cancerous, breast condition. And a small number of women will have breast cancer, end quote. So this, this is kind of, I'm pushing you there to you're getting the idea on what the overall utility is for the asymptomatic, low-risk clinical breast exam. I'm giving you a taste of where we're going. All right. Well, that's Susan G. Komen. But what does the data look like? In 2021, Menace et al. published their results of a retrospective study in women participating in a voluntary health screening program that took place between 2007 and 2016. All participants underwent clinical breast exam. Now, screening mammography was done selectively based on age, breast imaging history, and their insurance coverage. Data was collected and included demographics, risk factors, previous imaging studies, and then findings of the clinical breast exam correlated to mammography. They examined the contribution of clinical breast exam in women who underwent routine screening mammography. In other words, they wanted to see if clinical breast exam added any value over routine radiographic screening. Now, listen to this. There were 14,000 857 clinical breast exams completed in 8,378 women. Okay, we get that. So that's a lot of clinical breast exams, 14,000, okay? Now, 7% of those were abnormal. Within three months of that visit, 35 breast cancers were diagnosed that give a rate of about 2 per 1,000 visits. All right, a lot of numbers. Just hang into that because that's not really the main point here. The main point is that of those cancers, only one was diagnosed in a patient who had a suspicious slash abnormal clinical breast exam. That means that the cancer detection rate of clinical breast exam in women who underwent regular screening was extremely low. It was 0.5 per 1,000 visits. So these authors concluded, quote, the contribution of clinical breast exam to cancer detection in women undergoing routine screening is rare, end quote. That study from 2021 was published in BMC Women's Health. 
All right, that was pretty discouraging, right? I mean, boo. I mean, it was bad news for a clinical breast exam. But look, I mean, let's give clinical breast exam some credit. I mean, it at least is trying to do something, although it doesn't seem to be doing much. However, in areas where mammography is not readily available or patients can't afford it, my goodness, at least that's something. So this is where it can potentially fill the gap. Now, remember, I'm still going to give you my clinical application and how I see CBEs having still a different role um, during a, a patient's exam and not definitely not every year, but, you know, every one to three years, like the college says, uh, and I'm going to get into that in, in a minute, because I do believe that there's some clinical application here, but not necessarily for, for cancer detection. We're like, well, what the heck else for? I'm going to explain that in a minute. All right. Uh, and then I'm going to give you the college guidance here, what it is specifically regarding clinical breast exam in just a minute podcast family, I do need to give a quick disclosure here about a practice that we do have at our practice. Okay, so remember that our patient population, yes, we have insured patients, we definitely do. Uh, but that's on the private side, right? That's that's the other kind of gr- our sister group. But predominantly, we are uh, we take care of the patients who fall into the gap of care. All right, and I love that. But w- we do have a specific grant that we have uh, to bring patients in who have not had a recent mammogram, uh, and is for breast cancer screening. And that door opener, guess what it is. It's a clinical breast exam, and that's just the way the grant was written, all right? So, hey, I don't have a doctor. I haven't had any kind of follow-up. Well, at least we'll do a breast exam to try to uh, protect you against breast cancer because, remember what I said, it has a role for those who don't have access. So, like, oh, I haven't seen a doctor in 20 years. Well, at least there you come in. We do a pressure check. We make sure you're okay, and, and we focus on breast health. Again, a lot of education, but that does include a clinical breast exam. And if there's something abnormal, then that's the clearance. That's the door opener through the grant for them to get mammography. All right. So I don't want to, I don't definitely don't want to be sound hypocritical. Like, oh, I can't believe you're saying clinical breast exam doesn't happen, yet we offer a clinical breast exam as part of the grant. Absolutely we do, because in these patients, uh, they would not have any other care any other way. Do you all see that? So that's why I said it has a very specific role, not only for these patients who, who fall into the, into the cracks, into the gap, but also for something else that I'll tell you at the end of the episode. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But the idea is, is that mammography... Is, is much better. It's just much more sensitive. It's much more objective than clinical breast exam. So in if there's mammography ability, then do that. But remember that not all mammography is the same. That tomocentesis, aka 3D mammography or digital mammography, is the way to go. It's much better. That's been available since 2011. 
and it has much better sensitivity and specificity than 2D mammography, especially in women that have denser breasts, in other words, uh, non-fatty breasts, all right? So remember 3D mammography or digital mammography over plain old 2D mammography, and we talked about this uh, in those previous podcasts that I talked about earlier. So when you're going to send a patient to a place to get mammogram, ask them, hey, what, what kind of test are you doing here? Uh, because what kind of, for your screening mammography, is it regular old 2D or is it 3D digital? Most have a 3D digital, but not all of them. And that really is the way to go. That is the opinion of the American Society of Breast Surgeons in their statement from 2019. Here's exactly their wording from their statement. Quote, where available, 3D mammography is the preferred sole modality for women with an average risk of breast cancer. It's also important to note that most current 3D mammography units result in no greater radiation exposure than traditional 2D units. End quote. All right, so there you go. 3D mammography or digital mammography, a.k.a. tomosynthesis, that's the one that seems to have much better detection than regular old 2D films. All right, you all know how we do it. We're getting closer to present day in in terms of our data review. And in 2022, just last year, a published retrospective study looked again at the efficacy of clinical breast exam. And you guessed it, they found no difference between clinical breast exams and breast self-exams in identifying cancer or positive ultrasound findings or really anything of significance. So they just grouped CBEs and BSEs together as, yeah, not helping very much. Now, interestingly, listen to this, 25 of the 26 breast cancers that were detected were found, guess by who? By the patients. Only one of those 26 was detected by clinical breast exam. Wow. So this was published in Sirius, and the lead author was Nicole Huang. Okay, podcast family, don't get bored because we are coming close to the finish line. Let's now cover the current recommendations from key professional organizations, even though we've already touched on one, uh, which was the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force, all right? Now, there's a nice table of what people recommend back in ACOG's uh, practice bulletin number 179. That was from 2017. And yes, I have checked all the recs, and they're still the same today. Okay, now the one thing that's changed is the the screening mammography from the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force, because in that table it has, uh, you know, beginning at age 50. Now, of course, we know as we've already covered, it's moving down to 40. But I'm talking about things haven't changed in terms of the recommendations for clinical breast exam CBEs. All right. So let's start with our home opinion here, that of ACOG. ACOG states, quote, screening clinical breast exams may be offered to asymptomatic average risk women in the context here it is guys brace yourselves of informed shared decision making you remember you all know what that means i told you that in the past when whenever the data is kind of hokey it's always shared decision making all right so they keep on keep on saying uh in the context of informed shared decision making that recognizes the uncertainty of additional benefits and the possibility of adverse consequences of clinical breast exam so all to say they're like mm, yeah i don't know i told you very pc i can neither confirm nor deny i will neither confirm nor deny the facts of that story but they did say, look, you can do that if you're going to do that as a screening tool. You can do it at intervals of every one to three years, starting in women age 25, and then annually 
for women 40 years of age and older. And they say that's a reasonable approach. All right. So it's not a firm recommendation. It's part of shared decision making every one to three years between 25 and 39. And then shared decision making annually for women over 40. All right. That is ACOG. So shared decision making starting at 25. Great. We get that. But now let's go over the other professional societies. U.S. Preventive Service Task Force says there is, quote, insufficient evidence, end quote, to either confirm or deny that this is any good. The American Cancer Society, remember, the folks who deal with cancer all the time, their statement is, quote, does not recommend, end quote, clinical breast exams. So they're like, yeah, just don't even do it. It doesn't help. Stick with regular screening tests like mammography. As stated at the ACS website, that was last updated just January of 2022, quote, research has not shown a clear benefit of regular physical breast exams done by either a health professional or by women themselves for breast cancer detection. They go on to say there's very little evidence that these tests help find breast cancer early when women also get screening mammograms, end quote. And lastly, let's state what the American College of Physicians, the ACP, has to say about clinical breast exams. Well, they don't like it either. Quote, clinical breast examination should not be used to screen for breast cancer. Evidence does not show a breast cancer mortality benefit from clinical breast examination alone or in combination with mammography. Overdiagnosis and false positive results can lead to overtreatment, which increases patient harm, end quote. So most people say no. ACOG says, uh, yeah, why not? Share decision-making every one to three years, starting at 25, and then annually after the age of 40. So now that we're getting to wrap this up, um, so what do we do with this information? All right. Well, here it is, because this is the end. Here's my personal take. Once I've looked at all this data, and we've been following it for a long time now. Here's the special place that I think clinical breast exams uh, still fits, okay, I, I still holds. I think that there is a place for this, but for this very specific reason. And I do, I follow the college rules. Uh, I, I, I do what they say in terms of this guidance. So I follow the starting at 25 uh, remember, this is in asymptomatic women. If a 20-year-old comes in and says, I think I have a breast lump, I mean, of course I'm going to check her. Uh, with shared decision-making, that it may increase biopsies, and it may or may not be anything significant, but but of course I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push for an exam in that case. But otherwise, in an asymptomatic patient, I, I tell a patient, look, you're 25. Uh, our college says that I can do this. I may not really find breast cancer per se, but, but I use this for this reason. You all ready? Because we're getting ready to wrap this up. The reason I think clinical breast exam is helpful is as an education tool. So I, I mean, most patients don't even know what they're what what things are called. They're like the little brown thing around the nipple. Yeah, that's the areola. Uh, I've had patients come in and think that they have herpes on their areola because there's little bumps on it. Uh, and I'm like, oh, that's yeah, you can definitely get, you can get herpes you know, pretty much anywhere, but that's like a zoster. Um, but it's usually on the mucosa, like on the lips and the vagina, we go through the whole thing. And I say, look, I, I got to check, I got to see what that is. And it ends up being what, what are the little bumps on the areola? Those are Montgomery glands. So I use that as as part of of teaching and an and, and anatomy awareness. All right. So there's a special place that I think clinical breast exams have outside of the maybe the the potential for breast cancer detection which we know is that's a very big maybe and that potential is very small i i think it's very helpful 
in, in, in educating the patient as a health awareness, as an anatomy review, as let them know what's normal. And that's how I use clinical breast exams in my practice. So starting at 25, I follow my college rules, right? I know ACS says not to do it, but that's ACS. ACOG says shared decision-making. And as part of that shared decision-making, remember, if there's no complaints and there's no nipple discharge, uh, there's no breast pain, I don't do it. I'm like, it's totally okay not to do that. And then we go over the routine screening mammogram recommendations, which ACOG says to begin at age 40. So yes, I I believe that clinical breast exams can be used but not as a standalone test for breast cancer detection. I use that as a patient education tool. This is uh, what the nipple looks like. Uh, You have little ducks. Here's the areola. Those are Montgomery glands. Uh, Here's how you could uh, uh, help uh, your own detection of of abnormalities by knowing what's normal. And that includes, uh, we use a mirror so that she can use if she wants to. Uh, We do, of course, the traditional Bates-style exam where the patient is uh, sitting, uh, hands on, on the knees with an outward uh, elbows out to uh, help uh, the muscles contract, look for any dimpling uh, around the upper chest. Uh, we do a patient lying down with one arm on top, and we prefer the vertical stripe uh, palpation technique, altering, of course, each time that you move from a light, medium, and then deep palpation to increase sensitivity of the test. Even though you can do concentric circles and wagon wheel, I know there's all these different approaches. So I use that as a patient education tool. See, I told you I was going to tell you the clinical application, how I use this. So let's, first of all, not fool ourselves. If we think that we're going to find a bunch, we're going to save everybody from breast cancer with clinical breast exam, probably not, all right? That's why the breast cancer people, uh, Susan G. Komen, are like, no, I don't think it's legit. Even the American Cancer Society is like, yeah, it's probably not good. Just have them do a mammo. But the, the reason we can't just throw everything out is because those who don't, Uh, go for mammography, those who don't have resources, those who can't afford it or whatever, this is better than nothing. The question is, what do you do if you find something and they couldn't afford a mammogram to begin with? That's the ethical conundrum. All to say, uh, clinical breast exams, super controversial since the 90s. They likely do not detect any additional cancers over mammography, which is preferred as a 3D or digital test. Um, But as an education tool, I think it still has a role. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered the controversy, the perpetual argument and debate on CBE, clinical breast exam. To CBE or not to CBE? The answer is that depends on who you read. As part of shared decision-making, I follow the college rules mainly as an educational piece for the patient to let her know about her body and what is normal for her and to look out for any abnormalities that could be a flag to pursue further testing. I hope you found this helpful. As always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.